What happens when you lose your joy? Well, biblical counselor, Dr. Deb Waterbury says that you can find your joy again. Welcome, Dr. Deb, to the call. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Nancy. Well, after reading your book, A Crack in My Vertical, you know, it spoke to me because many times other people have really frustrated and taken away my joy, especially when it wasn't even my fault. And this I'm bringing up because there was a woman that falsely accused you and you had to let that go. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's amazing how many times that happens to us, doesn't it? Um, Where someone comes at you and you didn't do what it is they said you did, or you didn't say the things that they said you said. And our first intent, I mean, our first instinct is almost always to defend ourselves. Well, not almost always. I think it always is (laughs) to defend ourselves. Um, And so, yeah, that's happened to me quite a few times. You know, Nancy, it's funny, though, because as many times as that has happened to me (laughs) where I haven't said it or done it, that there's been just as many where I have said it or done it. (laughs) But I still want to defend myself in either one of those. I mean, the funny thing is my response is the same. But what I, you know, I've learned to hear what the Lord says to me. um, And he's got this one phrase that he says to me, and actually it's going to, that will be part of the book that will be the sequel to the one we're talking about right now. But he says one phrase to me, whatever you say, or whatever you do next is going to determine what happens next. And that, and, and I, for whatever reason, I always hear him right when I'm just about to open my large mouth and tell people, you know, how wrong they are and how right I am. He says that to me, whatever you do next, whatever you say next will determine what happens next. And And obviously, as believers, what we want to happen next is that God's glorified. And he cannot be glorified while I'm talking about myself and how right I am. And so whatever I say or do next will determine whether or not he's glorified in the next instant. And, and, you know, I, and Lord have mercy. I wish I could say it happens all the time. Maybe 50, 60% of the time I do it right. The other 50, 40%, I'm, I have to go back and repent and try to fix it. But I, some of the time I do um, stop, take, just take a beat and then realize I'm not the important one in this situation. Um, and then, that, and, and what I've come to find out, and that's why the book's called that, is if I do not respond appropriately, where God is glorified in my response, then there is a crack in my vertical relationship. It has nothing to do with the person, nothing to do with the circumstances. It is about me and God all the time. Am I hearing? Am I listening? Am I focusing on him? And if I am, then my response will indicate that. It almost makes me think about uh, the crack in your armor, right? <laughs> yeah. The armor of God. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, so Satan always can find that crack. And mm-hmm. so when, they, when there's a crack in your vertical, that means that the armor is in fully closed, right? Amen. That's exactly right. So, um, so now these people that this, you know, this particular woman that you talked about, um, was it, was it hard for you to, um, to listen? What did you feel like when you listen? What, 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 I mean, there are people that, that get people in their lives that they, they're like ranting at them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was furious. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) It's never, you know, you never, that's not easy to have someone accuse you of things, especially when you didn't do them. I mean, forgive that. How do you know, forgive it? I know it's so hard and, and not, you know, I remember when this had this particular thing happened, I believe I wrote this in the book too, is that 
you know, I, I responded appropriately and just asked for her forgiveness for things I hadn't done. Um, so that, and then she was fine. And I've had so many opportunities to be able to see them. You ask for forgiveness and, and the air goes out of the anger balloon real fast on the other side of that. But you still got to deal with your own. I remember walking in the house and, you know, my husband telling him what I'd done. He's like, you know, baby, you did the right thing. And I said, yeah, I know. But man, I knew I was not good because I was still mad. And I was mad for a couple of days before I had to go back to the Lord and say, okay, why am I mad? Why has this made me so angry? Because I just glorified you and I'm so mad right now. So then you have to kind of deal with, okay, where's the crack in my vertical? Because I am not satisfied with giving you glory. I'm very dissatisfied because I didn't get any. <laughs> That's <laughs> you kind of get to that place where you recognize, all right, this is a crack in my vertical right now. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You know, you, you said in your book, my pride and need to be right or avenged cause this particular crack. Mm -hmm. So I repented. And you know what? My anger at my friend dissipated almost before I ended my prayer. Yes. Speak into that. Yeah, that was a couple of days later. Like this happened on a Friday and all day Saturday. I just, you know, I was trying to get over it. But I was just so mad at her. Um, I, and she's a very good friend of mine. But I was just so mad at the injustice and all the things that she said to me. Um, so by Sunday morning, though, I remembered what I actually preach, which is, you know, people can't make you angry. You choose anger. Um, behaviors can make you feel angry. But if you live in it, you choose to stay in it. That is your choice. You have chosen that. And so I finally remembered that on Sunday morning and I was having my quiet time and went to the Lord and said, yeah, so why am I still mad? You know, something's going on here. I'm still angry. Um, and that's when, you know, if you ask the Lord to reveal sin in your life, he's very gracious and will do so. And it was really quick. He just said, yeah, you don't like being wrong, Deb. And you don't like to be accused of things you didn't do because you think you're supposed to be glorified. Like we want at our natures to be seen as good and right and righteous and on the right side of everything, which is pride. Um, and what God asks us to do often is just lay that need aside in, in, in favor of relationship, because we have a God of relationship. He's, he really doesn't give, I say this quite often, but he doesn't give a flying flip or a rolling donut, whether or not I'm right. What he cares about is whether or not I have restored relationship with this other sister in him, because that's where he gets the glory. He doesn't get the glory if I'm right. He gets the glory if I've restored relationship to his glory. Mm. So there seems to be a point where you need to surrender. So if anybody's out there and um, are feeling like somebody has really hurt you by accusing you of something you didn't do or say or, or anything like that, there's that need of finding your crack, as, De as Dr. Deb is saying, and surrendering it to Christ. Absolutely. And hearing what he has to say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm going to shift a little bit. Let's talk about uh, your past childhood trauma and how you handle that and how that kind of goes into this book and relates to it. Well, yeah, this book, A Crack in My Vertical, is actually uh, book two in a series of, I've written the first and the second, I'm fixing to write the third one. But the first one, it really kind of deals with that trauma um, to lead me to the place where I can now move more in relationship with Christ. Because I, I do want to make something very clear. Um, we are not called to be doormats by any stretch of the imagination. And when people really, really hurt you the way that I was hurt, I mean, I was gang raped when I was 12. I became a believer when I was 11, raped when I was 12, and, um, and then lived the next 28 years 
just in a cacophony of sin and, and um, a loss of identity. You know, I became the bride of Christ at 11 when I accepted him as my savior. But when that happened to me at 12, um, I began to be identified or identify myself by that. And then I, this false identity led to more false identities. And it wasn't that I never was the bride of Christ. It's just that I didn't behave as if I were because I thought I was something else. I was worthless. I needed to make sure people loved me, do whatever it was it took to do that. And, and sometimes that seemed like it must be sex or to do whatever the thing is that made this person love me. So that false identity, that lack of identity, lies the enemy told me about who I was led me to this place of bitterness and self-protection and, um, and you know, making sure that I took care of self because nobody else was going to, which literally is a reflection of what I knew and thought about God and understood about who he was and how much he loved me. So my first book, The Lies That Bind and the Truth That Sets You Free, kind of deals with that identity issue because that really is the core. You can't get to a place of restoring and repairing cracks in your vertical if you don't know you have a vertical and um and that identity has to be set first so once we can get rid of the lies about who we actually who we've been thinking that we are and then understand who we actually are then you understand oh i do have a vertical relationship this is me and god all the way so now I need to figure out why am I not living in love, peace, joy, contentment, and harmony, which are the five areas I cover in that book. Why am I not happy? Why don't I love that person? Why can't I find peace? Why am I not getting along with people? Why am I not content? If I know who I am, why do I still feel this way? And that's when we can address, okay, so there must be an issue with this vertical that I now understand that I have. So yeah, my childhood trauma of the gang rape and then all of the subsequent sins that I committed and then those that were committed against me just, you know, led me on this spiral of, of who am I? And, and then responding as if I were someone that I wasn't. You really got to get to that first before you can get to this. Yeah. Well, you spent some dark years. Yes. Right. So how did Jesus pull you up by your bootstraps? <laughs> You know, I, it's it's kind of, I always think about Mordecai's words in, in the book of uh, Esther when he said, the Lord will let you go this far and no further, just this far and no further. And I believe that all of his children, he lets us go this far and no further. And, and, it, and our this far and no further is different for who we are. I believe the Lord is weaving together each one of us a very individual story. And for me, I had to have a lot of chapters in my story because God knew where I was going, you know, that I would, the things that I would do. And I needed a lot of chapters. I needed a lot of ways that I could see that he was my hope. He was my healing. He is my savior. And so through all that, then the Lord, basically when I was 40, um, I'd had a succession of many affairs, lots and lots of indiscretions after having been married you know, just lost in this sinful cycle, all while I was, you know, putting on the Christian hat and being, Miss Churchgoer, um, he, I got caught. I mean, I was a full David moment. I got caught in my sin and the Lord took me down to the bottom and took everything from me. And so when he took me, took everything from me, I, um, he, I remember one morning I was laying in my floor in my bedroom, just sobbing because my husband and I decided to stay together, but there was no love there whatsoever. And I'd lost all my friends and all my ministry and I just had, really had nothing. And I, nothing was getting better. I was, I picked up my Bible again. I was reading it again. I was doing all the stuff, you know, to try to, all the striving to try to get back to healing. 
and I was, nothing was working. I was still so miserable. And all of a sudden I heard the Lord very clearly, not, he didn't say, Deb, read the Bible, go to church, go to a Bible study. He didn't say any of those things. All he said was, Deb, look at me. That's all he said. Deb, look at me. And, and it began, I, that began my journey because it really was God saying, Deb, I just need you to be with me. Like it is, it is all me and you. It's just me and you. And you're so busy looking around to people or things or whatever to make you whole. I, I just need you to look at me. And God will put you and get you to the place where you have no choice because he loves you too much. And it depends on who we are as to how far that goes. I just have to be very stubborn and hard-headed. So <laughs> it took a while and some really bad stuff before I finally was at the end of myself and was able to, to look at God. Um, and then my healing began in earnest. I, I love your story. Your story you. is beautiful. You were, you were talking to me before about the proceeds from your book. Where do they go? They go, I run a school in Africa called, um, well, it's a big project in Africa called Project Malunda. Malunda means trade in Chichua, which is the indigenous language of Malawi, which is where my school is located. And so it's a, it's a trade school for women, teach, very, very impoverished women, the poorest of the poor in that country, giving them the, a trade, uh, the trade of tailoring. So it's a six month class. And then we, they, they learn to tailor, they learn to be tailors, they learn business skills, they learn accounting. And so at the end of the six months, they will know exactly how to run a business, know how to be a tailor, and then we give them the machine they've been sewing on as well as a starter kit so that they can start their own businesses. So um, all the proceeds from my books, from um, just, I mean, I run five businesses right now and pretty much all of the proceeds from everything I do really focuses on that school in Africa. So that's where it goes. That's great. So if you want to get this book, A Crack in My Vertical, you can help the schools in Africa, and it's it's just so wonderful. Um, so this is the book, A Crack in My Vertical. Um, so as people of Jesus, my, my last question to you, we always want to please him. Um, but, you know, how much abuse is mm. enough, and how far and long do you put up with relationships? Mm, that's a good question, Nancy, because uh, again, the Lord, his, his biggest concern is always going to be you. I mean, his, and, and we have to, to understand that God looks at me, he looks at you and, and says, as the proverb says, you're the apple of my eye, which in the original Hebrew means you're the one that I want. So literally he's saying, you are, you're, you are it. You're my person. I love you so much. So that's going to always be his biggest concern. So in that then, there's nothing wrong with, I mean, I think there's absolutely everything right with having appropriate boundaries, um, especially the people who continually, continually hurt you. It is not about necessarily staying in relationship with someone who continues to abuse either verbally, whatever. Um, it is about where is your heart in that? Because what, my, my, what I do with relationship, I can do everything I can. I can ask for forgiveness. And if, it, if forgiveness is not offered, change is not, I'm not responsible for that person. And I'm not responsible for how he or she responds. I am responsible for how I respond. So, you know, you do what you need to do to as much as what is, what does Paul say in, in Romans 12, in as much as it is possible for you live at peace with all men and women. So you do all that you can do. And then at that point, Check your heart. Make sure you're still living in love, joy, peace, contentment, and harmony. You're still there. And if you are, 
then boundaries are fine. It really is a heart issue. I mean, God says over and over again, he doesn't look the way man, it's what he said to Samuel about David. I don't look at the way a man appears. I look on the heart. And so that's what he does for you and I. It's always a matter of a heart check. Where am I? If this person is not, is still not receiving, still being abusive, whatever they're doing, you know, that's okay. Cut that relationship off. Put up a good boundary. Just check your heart. Make sure your heart is where it needs to be. What is your first step into joy with Jesus? Mm. It, it, you said it at the beginning. I, I think it's release. It's releasing my will to think that I know what that looks like. <laughs> you know, um, one of my favorite things to point out in scripture is that if you want joy, if you want, and the joy in the Lord is, is, is hope, hope in Jesus. I mean, and not hope for, you know, as if something's not going to happen. Biblical hope is I know it's going to happen. It's where I've lain my trust. And so if you want hope in Jesus, then you need to trace back in the Bible where that comes from. And if you go to Romans 5 and James 1, you'll see where it comes from. When, when Paul says in Romans 5, you know, we're going to we're going to, you're going to suffer. And when you suffer, you learn perseverance and your perseverance brings character and character brings hope. Hope does not disappoint. That's exactly what James says in James one, although he tells us to consider it joy. But then if you go down to Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus the anchor of hope. So if Jesus is my anchor of hope, knowing that an anchor holds something in place, it can still be, you know, sloshed around by the waves. It's just going to be secure at its source. If Jesus is my anchor of hope, and if I trace back hope to where I get hope, it always goes upward toward trials and troubles. I cannot know Jesus as my anchor of hope if I don't go through stuff. So I think that it for me to recognize where I'm going to get joy, where I'm going to get love, peace, contentment, and harmony, I have to recognize that it's going to be challenged and I'll go through some trials because that's the only way I get to understand that Jesus is the hope. You and I were talking about this before the show started. I can't know that God provides if I'm not in a position where I need to be provided for. If I've always got everything I need, then I don't know that God will provide. But I find out that he provides when I am in need. So it's the same thing about finding hope and joy. I have to understand what it means to feel that I don't have that and then find it in Christ to actually know where it is. Mm -hmm. Dr. Deb, what do you want to leave the audience with today? Every Christian has an opportunity to live at a continual state of love, peace, joy, contentment, and harmony. God intends for that to be the case. So if you are not in any position, truth be told, we probably aren't at all five of those at different times, recognize that you need to stop looking out at people and circumstances and think that that's the problem because you're not at those things, not because of those things. You're not at love, peace, joy, contentment, and harmony because you're missing something that's right there. It's in your vertical relationship with Christ. And so just, you know, ask him. He'll show you what it is. You can get Dr. Deb's book, A Crack in My Vertical, and more resources at debwaterberry.com or amazon.com. Thank you for watching the call. We hope that this video has encouraged you today. You know, you can have a relationship with Jesus. All you have to do is invite him into your life. Repent of sins, ask for forgiveness, and make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And if this video has encouraged you in any way, please write your comments below. Until the next time, may the Lord be with you. Thank you for watching the call where we are leading you to Christ through stories and teaching. If you like this video, like and subscribe.